Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. I was praying this week and I was asking God, what do you want me to share? And I felt an impression from God to talk a little bit about the Bible, about the word of God. I've had so many people throughout my life, especially when I was going to school, challenge the Bible. Raise your hand if you ever had somebody question you or challenge you trusting the Bible as the word of God. So I started thinking about this and God led me in this direction. And what I want to do today is give you guys a verse first and then I want to talk to you a little bit about some facts of the Bible. It's going to be a little bit different today. I'm not going to be preaching that much but I'm going to give you some facts about the Bible. Then I want to, the second part of tonight or this afternoon, I want to talk to you and give you proof why the Bible is the Word of God because I know that sometimes we're up against a lot of people that question us and sometimes we don't know how to respond to them. And last but not least, I want to give you a story in the Bible that's really going to bless you. Amen. So Having said that, go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is what God says about the Bible. And it's so powerful. Every single person here should have a relationship with their Bible. And with the author, even more so. The Bible is something, it's a gift of God for us. It's our manual of living. It's what teaches us how to be happy, teaches us how to be successful. And that's why the devil doesn't want you to read it. He tries to make you think that it's a waste of time. He tries to make you think that it's boring, that it's just a bunch of words on paper, that it's not going to mean anything to you. But look what Hebrews 4.12 says. And this may just open some of your eyes this afternoon. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful. I want you to tell someone that's close to you, tell them it's living, it's alive, right? It's alive and it's powerful. Just right there, we could finish today and that could change our life if you really believe it. Because the word of God is not just you're not reading a novel. It's said by the living God and every word in it, it's alive. Now, pastor, what does that mean? Words in a paper become alive. Well, when you believe certain things, right? Because there's a lot of people that have Bibles in their homes, but you never read it. You could even read the Bible, but if you don't believe it, those words cannot become alive in you. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's powerful for those who believe it. And how many of you believe it tonight or this afternoon? I keep saying tonight and it's like, I got to switch from 6 p.m. to 3 p.m. I'm still on the other time zone. So it's living and powerful. And then it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. That's what God says about the word of God. How many of you guys are praying for loved ones maybe that don't know Christ and you're praying for situations of loved ones that you want to you see them in church and you want to see them serving God and, and sometimes you see people in your family and you're like, man, that's the last person. My uncle, that's the last person I'll ever see in church. He'll never come here because he's whack, right? He's crazy. Uh, Fifty Shades of Cray, he's, that, that's your uncle, right? He's, and you're like, no one can touch. But all of a sudden, when the word of God comes into his heart, when you start declaring the word of God through your prayers, the word of God goes into the marrow of that person and it changes people's hearts. I've seen people testify about what they were before. You're like, well, that 
person's like a little angel and they used to be a little devil back in the days, right? And you're like, how in the world did that happen? Well, the word of God went into their hearts. They received it and it transformed them. And you know what? Let's not talk about other people. Let's not talk about our crazy uncle. Let's talk about ourselves. How many things do we need for God to change in our lives? How many things do we need for God to transform in our relationships and in everything we do? So the power of the Bible, the power of the word of God, and it's not so much that it's the word, it's who it comes from. It's the word of who? All living God. He is your creator. How many say amen to that? So we're, we're all familiar, especially if you've been coming here to church for a while, you're familiar with these terms, the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. Let me give you guys a few facts about the Bible. The Bible is, as you guys know, it's divided in two sections. We got the Old Testament, the OT, and the NT, right? OT, not overtime, Old Testament, and the New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus. New Testament is after Jesus. It's a total of 66 books. How many of you guys know how many are in the Old Testament? 39. She's got her facts straight. 39. How many are in the New Testament? Right, because you did the math. Super easy, right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It was written by 40 God-inspired people throughout a period of time of 1,600 years. 1,600 years. That is crazy for a book to be such a wide compilation of so many people. Anybody know what the first five books of the Bible is called? Pentateuch. It's basically the law. It's when God established the law. So the Bible is split up in different sections. We have what represents the law, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible. Then you have your prophets. You have your major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Then you have your minor prophets, right? Like those little books in the Bible that sometimes you guys don't even read, right? Haggai. Where in the heck is Haggai, right? Haggai, Joel. These are all minor prophets. Then you have the poetic books, or they're also called the writings, and that's where we see Psalms, right? We see Proverbs, Songs of Solomon, Job. Then we have the New Testament. We have the Gospels, which are the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. And then we have Acts. After the Gospels, we have the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote. Then we have the general epistles that they were written to, to the church as a whole. And last but not least, we have the Revelation. So that's just a few facts about the Bible, right? You guys are more knowledgeable now. Now, let me speak a little bit about the proof. How can I know that the Bible is the living word of God? How do I know that it wasn't some weird people that just got drunk one day and just started writing stuff and they said it, they heard from God? Let me talk to you about how unique the Bible is. The Bible is unique in preparation. It's unique in circulation. It's unique in translation. And it's unique in preservation. The Bible was written, like I said, over a period of 1,600 years by a great variety of men who were inspired by God. From the king of Babylon writing in Chaldean to the humble prophet of Samaria. From an educated doctor writing in Greek to the beautiful lyrics composed by a Hebrew shepherd in the field. From a statesman born in ancient Egypt to a fisherman of the Roman area. It's difficult to encompass a more diverse group. How many say Amen. I mean, it's crazy how many people participated and that God used because the Bible does says that it was inspired by God. Maybe God didn't have the pen, but God inspired people to write what he wanted to tell us. Let me talk to you a little bit about the business of the Bible. Every year, the Bible outsells all the top bestsellers and has been translated in more than 1,200 languages. Come on now. 
bestseller, right? Most widely known book. A French infidel named Voltaire. I got to say it with the French. Voltaire. (laughs) Check this out. This is a true story. He once held up a copy of the Bible and he proclaimed this. In a hundred years, this book will be forgotten and eliminated. And that same estate where this guy lived was later occupied by the Tronkin family, president of the Evangelical Society of Geneva, and he used that same house as a repository for Bibles. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Sometimes you, you try to rise up against what God wants to do, and who are we to do that? There's been discoveries of hundreds of copies of ancient texts from a millennium before Christ. They reveal a remarkable preservation of the message through time. Let me now go on to talk to you about the historical accuracy. Bear with me. I know this is just a lot of, uh, it sounds like a lecture, but bear with me. Associates for biblical research have extensively excavated Jericho. You guys remember the story of Jericho? Jericho was excavated extensively, and they realized that the walls fell outwardly. Instead of crumbling, you know, when somebody's trying to get into a fortified city, the walls fall where? Inwardly. But it was crazy, and it was so evident that it was God, the one who brought down the wall of Jericho, in that the walls came down outwardly. Tablets have been excavated from ancient Babylon that confirmed Belshazzar ruling Babylon during Daniel's time. And I love this. Sir William Ramsey, he's regarded as one of the greatest archaeologists ever to have lived. Maybe some of you guys know him. He was very skeptical of the authorship and accuracy of the Gospels and the book of Acts. And he decided to go and investigate all this. And he spent his life investigating the truth about the Gospels and Acts. And after 30 years, he concluded this. This is, I'm quoting. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along the very greatest of historians. Talking about Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. Not just that the Bible is unique. It's also accurate historically. A lot of the things that were written down by historians coincide with what the Word of God says. And now I want to read to you something that's even more crazy and how we can even base our truth and put our full trust in the Word of God. Fulfilled prophecy. Tell the person next to you, fulfilled prophecy. There's more than 3,200 verses of fulfilled prophecy in the Bible. 30% of the Bible is prophecy. Making predictions... In the Old Testament was no joke. If you go with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 20, you'll find out that the test for a prophet needed to be 100% accuracy. You can't even miss one on that pop quiz. I mean, you need to get 100. If you were caught to be a false prophet, the penalty was, you guessed it, death. Look what Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 says. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, this is God speaking, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. I wonder how many people will be put to death nowadays. It's like everybody's mama's calling themselves a prophet. 
But it was serious. They wouldn't take these things lightly. And even with that, there were so many prophecies and so many of those prophecies fulfilled. There's been 61 prophecies that were clearly fulfilled just in Christ. In Christ, his birthplace, I'll give you a few, flight to Egypt, his ancestry, the slaughter of innocents while he was being born, that he would be preceded by a messenger, his ministry was going to begin in Galilee, that he was going to teach parables, etc. JTP Church, no other religion in the world makes a pretense that its founder is still alive, right? But Jesus is alive. Um, can we give him applause? Can we put our hands together for him? But the prophets and the prophecies predicted that not only would he come to redeem us, but that he was going to die and resurrect. How crazy is that? The exact timing of the Messiah's arrival was given in Daniel 9, 24 to 26. And many of the Old Testament prophecies, like Malachi 3, 1, demand that the temple be standing when the Messiah would come. And as you guys know, it was later destroyed in 70 after Christ in fulfillment of Christ's prophecy, another prophecy, Matthew 24, 2. So historically, through prophecy, through uniqueness, even through the business of the Bible, we could just see that the Bible is the true word of God. Why am I saying all this? How much value do you give the Bible? I'll tell you how much value you give it. It depends on how much time you dedicate to the Bible. Because you could, you could right here shout really pretty and say, amen, pastor. Yeah, I love the word of God. You could kiss it in front of me. But how much time do you take to read it? Because that's what is going to change your life. And that's how you associate or attribute value to the word of God. The word of God we said at the beginning is what? It's two things, living and what? And powerful. You want God's life inside of you? Read the word. You could get it for free nowadays. Right? You could get it in any language, any version, and yet sometimes we don't value the word of God. And it's what changes people's lives. It's the word coming out of the mouth of God. And I want to read to you a story of something really cool that happened in the Old Testament. And I want to ask you to go with me to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22. And we're going to read a little bit, verse 1 through 13. 2 Kings, chapter 22. And something interesting happened. The only time ever in the history where the Bible was lost. And nobody knew where the Bible was. You guys want to know what happened? Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida. She was a Jedi. <laughs> the daughter of Adiah Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and destroyed the death star. Just kidding. <laughs> and walked in all the ways of his father, David. Now, David wasn't his direct father. David wasn't, I think, eight generations on top. As a matter of fact, this kid, he was eight years old when he started reigning. And his father was up to no good. And his grandfather was up to no good. But despite that, something happened. I don't know how. But he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And it says here, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Verse 3, you guys following me? Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azalia, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, 
the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord. The people gave a lot of offering, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver that money into the hand of those doing the work who are overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of this house. That, this was something that was done every year. People would give offerings and they would repair the temple, right? So they're collecting the money and he's ordering these people to take it to this high priest so that he could pay all the people. To the carpenters, verse 6, the builders, the masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, these need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then Hokiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hokiah gave the book to Shaphan. And what did he do? Everybody read it. He read it. He read it. We're talking about five books in the Bible. Something was lost. And we'll get to that. Keep in mind that this new king's father and grandfather, they did what was wrong before the eyes of God. They started bringing in idols. They started worshiping other idols. A bunch of stuff that we're going to read in just a little bit. And when they started repairing the temple and just fixing stuff up, all of a sudden they found the book of the law. And now that they found it, they gave it to this guy and the Bible says that he read it. I underlined that in my Bible. He read it. How different would our lives be if we actually read the Bible consistently and not just come over here and look at the screens? How many of you guys even bring your Bibles to church? You should. You should write down notes in your Bible, yeah? I used to have a Bible, and before I had my iPad, I used to, man, it was like a rainbow because I would always write notes. And I, every time in another service or, or when I was reading at home, I go to that passage, I see my notes, and that would you know, refresh my memory about something that God spoke to me. And it's important that you do that. Bring your Bibles to church. Don't be lazy. I shared a video with my leadership group this Monday that just passed of Chinese getting their first Bibles ever. And they brought this huge box with Bibles. And you could Google it, Chinese receiving their Bibles. If you Google it, and you'll see it. And, and they're getting these Bibles and they're kissing it. They're kissing the Bibles and they're crying. And here, I mean, we have so many Bibles and we don't even value it. But I love it that this guy, even though it was lost, when he got the book, it says that he read it. And look what verse 9 says. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king. And he brought the king the word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of those that do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest found this book, and he gave it to me. And Shaphan read it before the king. So that was, a, that was a pretty long reading, right? Read all five books to the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, the Bible says that he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. That was a sign in the Old Testament of, oh my gosh, we're living so wrong before God. It's a sign of humbling yourself, right? He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of, and all these people that have weird names, a servant of the king saying, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found 
For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. I think the fact that the book was even lost speaks to me about the carelessness of the prior generations. We live in Western civilizations. The Bible is not hard to come by. You go to a hotel and the Gideons have placed a Bible in the hotel room. Every single hotel room has a Bible by an organization called the Gideons, which are the ones that do the life books that we give on in first priority. It's a blessing. It's not about how many Bibles and how close or how associated you are with the Bible. How much are you reading it? What does it mean to you? Every time you read it, do you allow God to minister to your heart and to change you? And are you, are you very passionate about doing things the way that God says? Because if you do, it's always for your protection. God's never going to keep you away from having fun. That's not what God wants to do. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you from bad mistakes. He wants to protect you from hanging on with people that are not going to be good for you. He's going to protect you so that you could prosper in your relationships, prosper financially. When the king heard about everything that was in the book, and all of a sudden he says, well, we're doing everything backwards. We're not doing anything right. The Bible says that he got on his feet and he tore off his clothes. Josiah was only eight when he was made king and his Father and grandfather had perverted the temple, filling it with idolatry, worshiping of false gods. They built temples for the false gods as well. But this kid, despite the fact that his parents dishonored God and did evil before his eyes, despite the fact that he didn't have the word of God because his ancestors didn't assign much value to it, to this point, it became lost. But he still had a heart to do what was right before God. When he found out what was in the book of the law, the Bible says that he stripped his clothes. I think we need a little bit more stripping in the church. Spiritual stripping. Strip our hearts. The apostle brought a word about things that sometimes captivate us and oppress us. And sometimes he does a calling and it's God calling us. It's so hard for us to strip ourselves and say, man, I messed up. I'm doing wrong. God, help me. Come, I humble myself. And I think that modern day's way of stripping ourselves is when we come down to the calling or when, when God ministers to you in your house and you say, God, forgive me. But sometimes we're so prideful and, or we don't add so much value to the word of God and we're like, oh, well, everybody does it. But God speaks to us and it's so important that we have a sensible heart, that we have a heart where God can speak to you and tell you, hey, you know, you're messing up. If you continue this way, it's not going to be well until you like we were just singing. I want it to be well within your soul. But for that to happen, you have to do this. Follow me in your ways. Stay away from this because this could be detrimental to you. And for us to say, God, we want to follow you in all the ways that you have created for us. How many say amen? So when it comes to the Bible, are you more like Josiah's father and grandfather? Or are you more like Josiah? That when he read the Bible, he stripped his clothing after understanding God's law and realized that he was doing everything the wrong way. Let me just finish off with this. Um, I loved what this guy did after that because we could have just left it at that, that he just stripped his clothes and he felt bad and he just continued doing everything that he was doing. But he took action. And I think that God never will point at you and say, look, you're doing wrong just to make you feel that you're little or anything. Like God wants to see the best of you. God wants to see you blessed. God wants to see you prospered. God wants to see you achieving your dreams. How many say amen? But when he speaks to you, he wants you to take action on that. How many say amen? And this guy did it. Josiah did exactly that. If you go with me to the book 
Second Kings, and this time we're going to go to chapter 23. I want to challenge you guys in your devotional to read the entire chapter. I don't have time to do it because we'll be here way too long. But read the entire chapter 23 because there's all of chapter 23 is everything that he undid that his father and grandfather did unto other idols. He brought down everything. And I'm just going to just read 13 through 18. You guys there with me? 2 Kings 23, verse 13. It says, Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, we're talking about like nine or ten generations. Solomon, when he went cuckoo, because he, he started off well, but then he went berserk. And he started lifting up idol worship places. He, did, he built altars for false gods. So now nine generations afterwards, this guy Josiah, he goes in and he brings that Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, a false god, the abominations of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abominations of the people of Ammon. And he broke it in pieces, the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images, filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high places with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. And Josiah turned. He saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and he burned them on the altar. Because when you give burial to a person back in the day, still to this day, we always recommend people that if you want to honor a family member, don't burn them. Don't cremate them. Honor them. Give them a decent burial. But now these people had done so many bad things with respect to God. They started lifting up false idols. So he got, he dug up all their bones and he burned them all. And defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this? He came to one gravestone and it stood out. And I want you to pay attention to this. I'm finishing up. If somebody could help me. Thanks, Marcos. He came to this one gravestone and he says, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. We don't even know who this man of God is. And if you go to chapter 13 of 1 Kings, you'll see this man of God and you'll see that again, he doesn't have a name. He was a prophet that God has sent nameless. And that was the gravestone that he came upon. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone. You guys want to find out why they left his bones there? Well, go with me to 1 Kings 13. This is the beauty of the word of God. There's so much into it. There's so much wisdom. In verse 1 of 1 Kings 13 says, And behold, a man of God. There he is again. He went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam, which was another corrupt king, stood by the altar to burn incense to a false god, obviously. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold the child, Josiah by name. And that's the guy we're talking about. Shall be born to the house of David. And you, on you he shall sacrifice the priest's 
of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Arastam. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back together. The altar was also split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Isn't it crazy that Josiah, this king, when, when he reads the word of God, when he finally gets the Bible, he, he, he strips his clothes and he humbles himself before the Lord. If you start reading all of chapter 23, you see that he started, he convocated the entire people of Judah and he started telling you, telling them, guys, now we're going to rule. This city's going to be ruled by the word of God. We've been messed up, but we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to ask for forgiveness. And every single person, every single family repented before God and it pleased God. But now he's doing all this. He's bringing down all the, all the temples and he's burning, he's, he's cremating all the bones of all these priests that, you know, started worshiping and bringing false gods. And all of a sudden he comes into a tomb and he says, whose tomb is that person? When they tell him whose tomb it was, he remembers what he just learned when somebody just read him the book that was just found. This is a person that I prophesied what you just finished doing. Isn't that crazy? And ladies and gentlemen, this is the same word of God that we have in our, in our hands, that we, could, that we should be spending devotions with it every single day. This is what's going to bless you. This is what is, what's going to sustain you through hard times. This is what's going to give you revelation with respect to why you're living in 2017 here in South Florida for this time and for this season. But sometimes, you know, we just become so depressed and sometimes we don't know why things happen around us and we have the audacity to even lift up our eyes to God and say, God, why are you allowing this man? To... And we doubt of his existence and we don't see that he's a loving God and that he left us his word and it's not just any word, it's a living, powerful word that can change any situation, that can change your life if you believe it in your heart. Stand on your feet, JTP Church. I don't know how many of you guys love the word of God, but what I was praying to God for is that you would have a new appreciation for the word of God. And that's what I titled today's message, a new appreciation. God wants you to start looking at his word as something that's, man, it's like a treasure map. I think it's more than that. It's a map for your destiny. It's a map that's going to lead you to be blessed. It's a map that's going to lead you to make wise decisions in life, to accomplish all that God has created you to be. I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to do two things today. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and I want to do a calling today. Maybe, maybe you've never heard about God or you, maybe you're not so tight with God because you've never been exposed to it and you know what I love about God he's a loving God and he's not a God that has come to condemn as a matter of fact the reason why Jesus even came and we just finished celebrating Passover was because he loved us so much that he didn't want us to die in our sin he wanted to give us an opportunity and he wanted us to have a path to salvation a path to 
reconcile and, and be able to turn from our sinfulness and be able to let God cleanse us from our sin and lead us in the direction that he wants to lead us. So I want to do a calling today. And there's anybody in this place that would like to raise their hand and say, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. And I know that from this day on, if I do that, God will be in control of my life of everything that I do. And all the things that God promised in his word, such as salvation, eternal life will come. And if you feel that this is God calling you, and if you're ready to make this decision, I want you there where you're sitting just to raise your hand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just raise your hand if you want to give God a chance in your life to come.